Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we have preview season starting. Uh, kind of crazy if you ask me that it's already starting, but we're five weeks out from the NHL season. Uh, we've got four divisions to go through, one each week. Uh, these episodes are um, pretty long usually. And then, uh, you know, we got one week buffer period before the season starts there. And uh, uh, I don't know about you, Chase, but these are some of my favorite uh, episodes to do throughout the year. Uh, I like the ranking list that we just finished up to. Those are always fun. And playoff previews, I always find, are uh, some of my favorite three kind of topics that we do throughout the year. But uh, this one will be a little different, too, because we're going to run through some signings as we go through the teams in each division. Uh, Chase, obviously, uh, was off last week, so we had uh, the, the goalies one go out. Um, so we haven't covered news in... Honestly, like two and a half, three weeks, it feels like. And there's been a handful of signings and uh, definitely some uh, splashes in this division as well. So uh, we're going to start with the Atlantic here. Um, we're doing this like we have in past years as well. We split up into four, sometimes five tiers, but our main four tiers are top three. So that are teams we can see uh, competing for the division title slash one of the top three divisional spots. Uh, wild card, one of the te- you know teams we think are either going to be in that third division spot maybe um, you know, if it's a weaker division or for sure, like in the hunt for a wild card spot, maybe if it's a stronger division, uh, bubble teams where, you know, maybe they're on the outside looking in kind of, I think the way I described bubble team was the New York Rangers the last year where it didn't really feel like they were a threat for like a wild card or anything like that. If there were, even was a wild, like if there were, were to be one, but they're obviously not rebuilding either. They're kind of in that no man's land area. And then we have the bad teams. Uh, those are usually the teams that are rebuilding or, uh, might suck even if they don't want to. Um, but uh, this is an interesting division. Uh, kind of feels like it's been a straightforward one for the past couple of years. And uh, it's kind of that way again. I, I really don't think our lists are going to alter too much here. Uh, Chase, I'll get you to start because I've done the talking for the first minute and a half here. Uh, start us off with the bad teams. Uh, let's go. How many teams do you have in this tier? And give me your bottom one. Who do you think is last in this division? I think there's a decent chance we have this division ordered in the exact same way. And I have Buffalo starting it off as everyone should, because they might be the worst team of our lifetime this year. It is going to be quite the tank battle between them and the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, Um, that is for sure. Uh, Yeah. I also have Buffalo eight. I I don't really think there is an avenue not to have Buffalo eight. Um, like they are, I would be shocked if they're not the 31st or 32nd place team in the league this year. Um, and that's kind of okay. Like that, like they, they know they're going to suck. So it's at least better than what they've been in the past couple of years where they wanted to be okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be another, another painful year in Buffalo. That's for sure. Oh yeah. It's going to be awful. There's just no talent here. Like how many things have to go right just for them to come like fifth in this division. Like this team is just so bad. Well, the biggest one, and it's just like, and like, so a, I think you need to somehow change Jack Eichel's mind that you're not going to trade. He wants to stay in Buffalo and he needs to be the Jack Eichel. We saw like when he was healthy last year and two years ago, that's the first thing, which seems incredibly unlikely. B you somehow need the tandem of Craig Anderson and Aaron Dell to probably be above average if not at least league average and again i love craig anderson but when you have 40 year old craig anderson who might be starting 40 games for you in a year oh my god you are doing tanking right yeah that you definitely are 
And like they would need Dallin to just be like rookie but better. They need Will Butcher to be his rookie year but better. They need like Dylan Cousins to take like they need so many things just because there's absolutely no talent on this roster, assuming Eichel is gone. Yeah, like and so we'll go through obviously forwards, defense, goalies, um, as as we look through every team here, and like it's just a wasteland, dude. Like forwards on the they have 14 on the roster right now. Jeff Skinner, Kyle Ocpozo, Victor Olofsson, Casey Middlestad, Cody Eakin, Zemgis Gurgensen, Anders Bjork, Tage Thompson, Vinny Hinnestroza, Dylan Cousins, Rasmus Asplund, Ryan McKinnis, Drake Kajula, and John Hayden. So if we're trying to order a top six out of that. Jeff Skinner, Victor Olofsson. They had him on the fourth line last year, so maybe not, but <laughs> yeah. he should be. Um, and then we'll say Cousins, I guess, up the middle. And then Middlestead, Hinnestroza, and Akposo, I guess. And then, like, John Hayden, Drake Kajula, uh, Rasmus Asplund, I guess. Yeah, and then you got Cody Eakin, Tage Thompson, and insert name here. Yeah, like that is just depressing. Um, the good news is, and it's not for this year, so, you know, that's the thing. Like, they at least have some promising prospects. Like, um, last year they picked up Jack Quinn, who I think was probably still a bit of a reach considering Rossi was on the board. But uh, And John Jason uh, Paterka, who played uh, the German, lit up the uh, U8, or U20, sorry, last year, the world juniors. Um, but like, that's not going to help this year. Neither, you, you don't even want those guys on the team this year. No, not at all. Like, I don't even think you obviously have to, I don't think there's anything else you could do, but ideally you could hide cousins this year too. Yeah. Like I was thinking almost the same thing, but like, he's already, this is going to be his 20 slash 21 year old season. So you kind of can't. Is that the age of the Leafs had Willie in the minors? I think 20 was when he came. 20 was his last year. That's the year they brought him up, I think. Yeah. So you could maybe hide him for the first half or something. Like, yeah. And like he turns 21 on February 9th. So, yeah. Like, I believe when people just say ruining players, it's mostly hindsight bias. But like, this seems like the kind of team you could ruin players by playing them on. And like, this is kind of an organization we've seen sometimes. Like, like every player that has left this organization has gone on to be infinitely better. And some of that is luck for sure. But like when it happens like six different times, it's like, okay, this can't all be luck. And this team has been so bad for so long that, yeah, there is probably something to them just being brutal as well. Yeah, exactly. Like it shouldn't be a hot take to be like, Hey, these guys suck ass at developing hockey players at this point. Yeah. Um, so and then, you know, you look on defense and like this is, I would say, by far the highlight of their team, which uh, is about as much as you need to know about this team, because uh, on defense, they're going to have uh, some order of Deline and Colin Miller, Will Butcher and Yoki Haru, and then Robert Hag and Mark Pissick, which like if you had an absolute stacked offensive core, this would still be probably considered an issue but it is just by far like the most non eye gouging thing about this team that uh, like, it's, it's just kind of sad. Yeah. It's pretty tough. It's better than Vancouver and Edmonton probably at least. Yeah. Like this isn't a bottom two defense core, but it's probably still bottom five. I would, unless the goes back to rookie to lean four. 
I, I, which case, like, at least you have maybe one guy you can hold on to, and then you pass a couple more teams, but. Hopefully. And for what it's worth, his numbers under Granada were much better. So maybe that is the magic elixir that cures Rasmus Dallin. Yeah. Like if it's not, uh, I don't know. And then, yeah, net you have Craig Anderson, Aaron Dell, um, which, you know, like uh, you've mentioned a couple times on this podcast in the past, but the best way to tank is, you know, not by just sending all shit players on the ice, but not having goaltending lack of shooting talent and goaltending where you're still like, you can still drive play, but you just can't score. And the goaltending really lets you down. Like that's some feels like the easiest way to tank. They have the goaltending part down and they have the lack of shooting talent, but they also just lack everything else. Yeah. They have literally nothing. This is the kind of team that you have to be just a sadist to watch this team like night in and night out this year. Yeah. Like I watched a lot of the bad auto senators teams and no roster that the auto senators ice look even half as depressing as this. No, like this is brutal. Like I just, Oh man. And, and like, in net, they have uh, Ukopeka Lukanen as well in the minors, 22 years old. He'll start in the AHL this year. And, like, it's rumored that they might want to bring him up at some point. But, like, even him, like, do you really want to put him behind this this team? Yeah, like, what is, what is that game? Worst case, he's bad, and that's a horrible sign looking forward. Or best case, he's good, and he makes sure you have lower lottery odds against Arizona. Yeah, like, I, I just – I don't know. Maybe if it, you're so far out of it by like the last month, you can bring him up. If you really, if he's torching, I guess like, I guess you could say that like, if he's absolutely torching the AHL, his development is more important than 4% in the lottery. But yeah, like, which is true, especially or probably true, I guess. But like, he has to be playing so aggressively well in the AHL for that to be worth it, I think. Yeah. And he has yet to do that unless I'm missing something. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I try not to judge too much by, like, just raw save percentage. Yeah. But, yeah, in 10 games last year, he had an 874. He killed it in the – well, not even kill. He just played fine in the ECHL in 888. Yeah, it's not like – it's not like it's been great, but I also don't think Rochester's a very good AHL team either, so. Yeah, that's kind of tough to know. I, I'm not kind of know a goddamn thing about Buffalo's AHL team. Yeah, and, like, anytime he's played overseas, the numbers have looked pretty solid, so – um, but yeah, like I would definitely just probably keep him in the AHL and just go tank this year. Cause that's, uh, that's all you have to it really. Yeah. I would love to uh, just keep as many players as you can in the AHL and suck and hope to pick first overall. That's basically all you can do at this point. Yep. Um, flip Vinny Henestrosa at the deadline, Kajula, John Hayden, if any of them have value, Colin Miller, Maybe Will, but I'd maybe keep Will Butcher just so you have an NHL player next year as well. But um, yeah, just flip flip anyone that is going to get you a decent asset. Uh, that's enough talking about this depressing team. Yep. Let's go to another depressing team. Not quite as depressing, but still depressing. The other team I have in this tier, the only other team, that's the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, the only other team, obviously, in this tier. Uh, you can make an argument for Ottawa. I think we're both going to disagree with that next, but... The Red Wings are clearly in the bottom tier of this division. They are horrible. And there's not as much actually signs for hope as I would have expected at this point in Yeiserman's tenure, but there still are at least signs. Yeah, I think it's very clear with the Yeiserman stuff that he's really taking this like three or four painful rebuild, three or four year like 
slow build very seriously. Uh, Mortis uh, Sider, someone that I'm excited to see if he makes the team because, you know, he had a great year by all accounts from prospect people last year. Um, so, and, and that pick I think was considered a reach at the time too. So I'm, I'm really interested to see if that pays off. Uh, obviously they drafted Lucas Raymond. Uh, I don't think he's going to make the team, but Joseph Valeno, I think has a chance as well. So, you know, maybe you get to watch him. Dylan Larkin's fun to watch. Jacob Vrana should be fun to watch. Bertuzzi. So you go Larkin, Vrana, Bertuzzi, Fabry, I guess, and then Zadina and someone to round out. Maybe, maybe you get um, uh, Valeno to round out your top six there. Like it's not good, but it's at least watchable. I would say like, if you're a Detroit fan who wants to tune into a couple games this year, it's much more watchable than the team that is behind them in this division. Yeah. Like that first line can at least be entertaining mm-hmm. and it can actually be decent. Yeah. Like I don't think Larkin for Anna Bertuzzi would be the worst first line in the league. No, like if you're trying to contend, obviously you prefer that to be a second line, but as a first line, it's, passable at least it's the only passable thing on this team yeah like the depth Unless is pretty shallow and just crushes third pair minutes or something like that but looking at it now that's the only thing i'm real confident is like passable for them yeah um because you get the defense you got nick letty danny de kaiser philip ronick mark stall troy stetcher joe nostril and gustav lindstrom and then maybe more decider in the minors um not the most uh, um, thrilling <laughs> decor by any means. Um, it gets falls off real quick. Uh, that's for sure. Um, because there's not think, much of a starting point either. Yeah. I don't think the perfect coach could deploy this decor to a 50% XG. No, like this is probably worse decor than Buffalo's, right? Oh, I'd say so. Yeah. So I hope that Dallin might be good again. Yeah, and like Edmonton, it's like at least Darnell Nurse was like a solid second pair D last year. Like, yeah, like Nurse is legitimately talented. Like, Nurse is better than all these guys. There's a yeah. chance he has a higher war than this entire D core combined. And I don't think that highly of Nurse. <laughs> yeah, like, this is this might be the worst D core in the league. Now that I'm, even like Philip Ronick, like, I don't know if it's really his fault that his. Like, his, his biggest um, disappointment is goals four per 60, which is below three standard deviations. Um, but, like, again, I don't really think that's him driving that absolute shit metric. Um, but still, like, it's been like that for three years now, which is kind of funny. But, like, yeah, even he is just, like, an average kind of defenseman, and he is the highlight of this defense core if Sider's not on it by a mile. Yeah, and, like, Stetcher – Stetcher's the kind of guy that a contender can get hyped about on like their third pair or whatever, but that's just so uninspiring when that's the second guy you have to look to. Yeah. In that, I think it's could be interesting, like Nadelkovich and Thomas Grice. Um, I, I'm really curious to see what Nadelkovich does in front behind a much, 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 much worse team than what the Hurricanes were last year. Um, and Grice is just a fine guy, I think, to have as a 1B, especially when you don't really care about the results, you know? Like, I, I think Thomas Grice is a fine goalie, too, for what it's worth. Like, you could probably flip into a team that needs a second or third goalie at a deadline for sixth or whatever. Yeah, and he's he's had some really good seasons. Good, Maybe he's a good mentor. I honestly have no idea, but at least he's somewhere who, someone who's been there, done that for a while with Nadelkovich. You could do a lot worse. 
Yeah. Um, speaking of Philip Ronick real quick, he signed a contract extension three years, uh, 4.4 AAV. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think he's not worth this money, but for some reason, I think he's going to get like the Rasmus Dallin, not or uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, not as extreme, but treatment around the league where people seem to think he's way better than he actually is. So you'll be able to trade this, even if it's not a great contract in and of itself. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think it's probably a little bit of an overpayment, but like if he was making three, I don't think I'd be complaining. So, like, for a team that is not going to need the cap space for three years, am I really going to get mad that they're overpaying their 23-year-old defenseman who's the only guy who's, like, remotely okay on this decor by $1.4 or whatever? No, like, not really, right? Like, when you use a guy like this, again, you can't just turn around and be like, oh, you're worth a half, one and a half million dollars or whatever. Yeah, like he played a th- over a thousand minutes, uh, even strength last year, in, in a short fi- in a short a fifty six shortened season game right, season, right? Like, yeah, like some decent defensemen don't hit that over full seasons when they play like seventy of the games. Yeah, so like, yeah, you can't play him for over a thousand minutes and then in his contract year and then turn around and be like, yeah, you're only worth two million dollars or whatever. So yeah, exactly. And again with Heronic. His uh, his war looks horrible, and everybody loves to point and laugh at that. But his on-ice shooting percentage is so much worse than his expected on-ice shooting percentage. And given that defensemen can barely influence that to begin with, and he's been on the freaking Red Wings, I'm extremely confident that's not his fault. So it's not quite as bad of a contract as it looks, depending yeah, it, on the length of what you're viewing it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um. All right, that's uh, two teams down, six to go. Uh, I'm getting, I'm gonna guess they, this is uh, onto the next tier for both of us, probably the bubble tier. Uh, I really have one team in here. I think you could argue two, maybe, um, or one either way if you want to put Ottawa down a tier. Uh, I have the Ottawa Senators next, coming in at sixth in this division. Um, what about you? Yeah, I have Ottawa in a tier of their own, but it's kind of the same concept as Montreal. I just think they're like distinctly worse. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, we'll get to Montreal, obviously, in in a couple minutes here. But uh, yeah, I, I have Ottawa six. Um, obviously, me being on Sense Twitter, you know, more often than uh, the average person, I uh, definitely get exposed to some different takes as well. So I've seen people be like, some sense fans are really, really high on this team for some reason, but I also think the general public is maybe a little lower. Like I've seen people say that uh, they might be down with Buffalo. And I think that is pretty pessimistic unless Matt Murray just completely sucks balls, which like yeah, and if Murray sucks, the team isn't good enough to compensate for that. And it's not impossible. Murray sucks, but goaltending is so random. And you can say that about so many teams. Yeah, like if Nadelkovic posts a 900 behind that defense core, it's like, okay, yeah, like, right? So, but yeah, when it comes to Ottawa here, uh, obviously they have still an outstanding contract sign in Brady Kachuk. Uh, they made some big, big news this week in terms of, anyway, early September news. Resigned Drake Batherson to a six-year deal with just about a $5 million AAV, 4.975, but let's just call it five, uh, about $30 million total. 
Um, I, I want to get your opinion on this because I've given mine in detail on my other podcast. So I'll keep mine short here to let, let people listen there. But I want to hear what you think. So I'll be interested to hear yours because I have not heard it. But I would be cautiously optimistic about this contract. I really like it. I, I, I think I don't think it's a slam dunk by any means, but I think That's this is... Cautiously. Yeah, I, this is definitely the bet I think a team like Ottawa should be taking with a player at the age and caliber of Drake Batherson. Exactly. Like this contract might not work out, but signing contracts like this of guys who have torched the AHL, shown some promise in the NHL at a really young age, you know, he's probably on pace for like 28 goals or whatever last year at 22, I think he would have been. Like signing contracts like this is how you end up with huge value contracts on your team. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, um, I think even if for whatever reason he caps out last year uh, at what he was last year, where 17 goals, 17 assists in about 54 games, I want to say, um, even if he capped out at that uh, and he was like a pretty solid possession driving winger, like he didn't like dominate play or anything like that, but it wasn't bad. I think he would be worth $5 million for that. Like, that would be, I, I'm just doing the math real quick here. It would be about a 25, 26 goal pace. So, and I guess do the math there, 52, 53 point pace, right? Like, even if he doesn't grow any more than that, I think he would be worth this money right now. And like all signs point to Drake Batherson taking even another step forward. And, you know, maybe he's not the guy who completely drives his own line, but at $5 million, you absolutely do not need to be that. So as this team grows and as he keeps getting a couple better line mates or like, you know, let's say Tim Stutzla takes a jump to center and, you know, he gets a dynamic centerman. Like, I think this has the potential to be one of those contracts you look at in three years and go, he's making how much? Like, not top end of the wing, like league winger wise, but like maybe slightly like William Nylander, but like not quite as good of a player, but also doesn't make quite as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, like this is how you end up with like the Teravine contract or something like that. Yes, exactly. So like, I really love this bet. I think it's great. Um, And, you know, for Batherson, like it's 30 mil guaranteed for a guy who I don't even, I think he has 50 points in 99 NHL games. So yeah, like it's not guaranteed to work out by any means, but I think if you're going to be making bets, I'd much rather be doing this than paying five by six for a 30 year old. A hundred percent. And like the big concern with this is his play driving results in the previous two seasons are horrendous. But the thing is like, how many games did he play in those two seasons combined? Like uh, Uh, before, like before the shortened one. Yeah. So he's played until this year and the play driving results. And really there was not a lot of promise, but like when a guy that young is torching the AHL, and then he has a really strong season in the NHL when you play him full time. And the, those bad results can't come on just like dog shit Senators teams. Like this is a bet you basically have to make if you're the Senators. And I think there's a really good chance it ends up as a good contract. Yeah. And I can speak as someone who's watched him too. The big narrative for 20 of those 43 games before he came up full time last year was he, and, and honestly, for most of the 43 is he didn't look like he belonged when he was playing as a 19 year old or whatever it was, or a 20 year old, I guess it would have been, um, you know, he was not filled out in his body. He looked way too small. He got muscled off the puck and that's why they sent him back down again. Like he did not look like an NHLer, but he went developed, tore up the AHL for two straight years and got his shot again and uh, looked like five times the player when he came up last year. So. 
Yeah, exactly. And the fact that he's just torched the AHL this whole time is like a really comforting thing to combat that lack of sample size. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Yeah. So when we look at that, and the other, the other thing was Pierre Dorian extension, uh, that one, I will leave my personal thoughts for the, the, the podcast, at least deep dive. Um, long story short, basically on my thoughts is I'm not surprised by the extension. I'm not sold on him at all by any means. I think he's done a pretty good job drafting and the team's done a relatively got good job developing, but Dorian has not been able to find any kind of NHL talent so far. And that is what's going to make or break his term as a GM in the next two or three years. Yeah, I don't like Pierre Dorian. I'm happy he's not the GM of my team, but I do think he gets a little too tough from some people as well. Yeah, it's also so hard to like tell what is him and what is Melnick sometimes too. Like I, I exactly. sometimes I think it, it was used as too much of an excuse. And at times I still do like uh, when people um, trying to cover up for like the 2017 spenders. It's like, okay, well, like when he got money, he went out and signed Alex Burroughs to a two-year extension, right? Like that's still on Pierre Dorian, but like there is times where it's like, I cannot imagine having a boss like Eugene Melnick. So. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause if you asked a hundred different people, they'd all grade Dorian on a curve, but it would be a different curve with everyone because Melnick's such an enigma. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking on ice here, uh, they obviously still have a Brady Kachuk extension, but uh, to get done, but I'm sure we'll talk about that as the year rolls on or, you know, well, obviously as, as training camp rolls on or gets started here, um, you know, their forwards this year uh, should be an exciting year. I think um, uh, their first line will probably be what they rolled last year. Kachuk, uh, Norris and Jake Batherson up front, which was an okay first line. They struggled at times and then looked really good at other times. Um, you know, with shipping off Dadnov, I think it makes their second line pretty um, straightforward to at least start as well. Connor Brown will probably start on the right wing. I think Shane Pinto will probably start in the center unless they want to slide him down the lineup to start. But everything he showed last year showed he was at least uh, um, looking prime to take that spot. Um, and then on the left wing, it'll be interesting to see uh, where they slide. They have a couple options there. Guys like uh, Formanton, um, you know, he can play both the left and right. So I'll be interested to see if he slides up or down. Um, and then Colin White has played center and right wing as well. Uh, on the left, uh, Nick Paul, he's probably going to anchor that third line. Last year it was um, Paul, Colin White, and Evgeny Danov that they almost use a defensive kind of style line. So I could see um, Formanton maybe sliding there as well. But um, yeah, like I, I don't think they're – they kind of need, or sorry, on the on the left, sorry, on the second line by the left, it'll be Stutzel probably, unless they decide to move him to center, but I kind of doubt it. So that left wing will be Stutzla, uh, I would assume Pinto, and then probably Connor Brown to start the year. Um, and then the bottom six is going to be a mix of like Formanton, Nick Paul, Chris Tierney probably, Colin White, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Who'd they pick up? Austin Watson. Um, and then maybe Logan Brown. Like Logan Brown's got to get waived this year if they don't. So like, but he doesn't even have a contract yet. So I really don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, I don't know. Would he get taken? I would assume if like, if you're Detroit or Buffalo, how do you not take Brown if he's free on waivers, right? Yeah, that's true. Especially with the, the draft pedigree and the height and everything. He wouldn't be a tough guy to sneak through. Yeah, and like like we talked about Batherson's AHL production, like 
Logan Brown has gone 28 points in 25 games, 42 and 56. Like he didn't quite tear it up to the same degree, but it's not like he's been a slouch in the AHL either. Yeah. And how old is he? Is 23. Yeah. Yeah. He's the same age as Batherson. So yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I hope they give them a spot at the bottom of the roster, but overall it's not like this forward group is um, electrifying, but there's definitely some pieces to watch there. Yeah. They kind of seem, you know, in like the international tournaments when like the Czech Republic are expected to lose every game or whatever, but they're going to be like a scrappy out. Yeah. It kind of seems like this team's destiny this season. Yeah. And that's kind of what they were by the end of last year too. Like they finished eighth last and they just kind of, stole points off of teams that were caught sleeping by the end of the year, you know? Yep. Like lose a bunch of three to two and four to three games and still have a relatively good shot at a lottery pick, but not yeah, be exactly. like beat dumpster fire where you can't even see how it turns around. Yeah. And then on the, on the blue line, obviously you're gonna have Shabbat. Uh, I'm assuming Zaitsev is going to be staple to him again, unfortunately, but you never know. Maybe Nick Holden will go up in that spot. Uh, Zoo or Zub will be on the second pair right D with one of Mete or Branchdom. I'm hoping, and then I'm hoping the other plays third pair with uh, um, probably Josh Brown. But Michael Delzato was signed for some reason too, and I'm really scared they're going to move on from Eric Branchdom, which would be super unfortunate. That would be disastrous if they move on from him for Delzato. Yeah, and, like, they just – I don't know. They kind of seem done. I'm going to leave my talking on that as to the other podcast, uh, the Last Word on Sets podcast. You can find it wherever you're listening to this. I had a great talk about that this week. Um, and then Annette, Matt Murray, and Anton Forsberg are probably going to start the year, which is going to be the Achilles heel, I think, of this team. But at the same time, you know, maybe if this team can play close to 50% possession hockey and their goaltending sinks them to where they get a higher pick than maybe they thought they would get, maybe not the worst outcome in – overall yeah like i know i think sense fans are probably done with the team being like complete dog but honestly if if murray gets his back blown out all year and they come like third last it'd probably be a good thing for them long term yeah I, I i go back and forth i i think like as long as stutzel takes a step i think it's yeah, good like, if your young guys are playing well and clearly developing Sure. I, I think it would be pretty disappointing. Even, I mean, obviously if you win a lottery and get like a Shane White type player, yeah, it would definitely be the good thing uh, long-term, but like, I think it'd be disappointing if they were like very clearly in the bottom three or whatever, if they finish like 25th, which would be eight last this year, like I think some set or maybe seventh last, some sense fans would be disappointed. I kind of assume they're going to be in like that 20 to 26 range, which like, Sure. Like, I, I think that's fine. Like that would be a step enough forward as long as it's the young guys driving you and you're not just going on a PDO heater to get 20th in the league or whatever. That would be disastrous. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, like I, I just, I, again, it's a growing year for sure where it's like, I don't really care where they finish in the standings as long as Shabbat, like Branstrom, Mete, and then Norris, Stutzla, Batherson, and Kachuk and Formanton all look good, you know? Or at least most of those guys look good, right? Like, yeah, like if if you could trade like a horrible season for Stutzel and Brandstrom to take big steps, I assume you do that. And yes. then the rest of the guys are just kind of who we think they are. Yeah, and like, yeah, even if like um, you know 
maybe Brady finds pots a couple more goals and gets to a 30 goal score instead of you know, 25 or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Like as long as, as long as a couple of the young guys take big steps, this is like the sweet spot to be in with the fan base where it's so easy to have a high approval rating. Cause there's a lot like say Batherson and uh, Mete have huge years or whatever. Like everybody's just hyped and there was no expectations anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, moving on to another team I have in their own tier. This is the only team I really had in the wild card team here where I really don't see them being top three. I don't think they'll fall off as aggressively, but I do think there's a chance. So it's an interesting team. Um, I have the Montreal Canadiens coming in fifth here. Uh, I'm assuming you're the same. Yeah. And uh, obviously we have not talked about the fun that they have had this offseason. We will definitely get into that. Um, I guess where to start with this day. I get let's let's start with the offer sheet. I, I don't think we can beat around that bush, right? So um <laughs> Cockneyami gets offer sheet by the Canes. Clearly a lot out of spy. I, I do think like the narrative that like the Canes just did this to get revenge or whatever, and they don't even like Cockneyami is a wrong and weird take. Like the dude was taken third overall three years ago. You know, like, and and they seem to think that they can develop him into like a second line center at some point or whatever. They clearly like it, but they obviously the twenty dollars signing bonus, the um, putting their presser out in French and being the exact same uh, wording Bergeron used two years ago when they offered you to Aho, that was all very much out of spite. Um, we'll get to the offer sheet from Carolina's perspective when we do the division next week. From Montreal's perspective, a do you think it was the right move to not match? And B, what is your opinion on then flipping the assets for Christian Dvorak? Um, I it kind of sucks. Like you don't want to walk away from Kotkaniemi when he's twenty-one, but that contract is a lot of money for a guy who's like sole thing he has to hang his hat on is he was like not horrible, like he was. He was actually pretty decent in his rookie year, but that was three years ago. And he was picked third overall a couple months before that. Like yeah. This was in 2018 when he was picked. Like at some point you got to just like, it, it's not meaningless because like the prior does matter, but there's three years of just aggressively mediocre data on this guy. And they paid him like a legit first line player. And the and, other thing is too, like the priors were like considered a bit of a reach. Like not yeah, many it, people had him going third. It was close to like was, nine. And it was not a good draft class, right? It wasn't great. Like that was the um the lean year I want. Deline Svechnikov, uh Cockneyemi, Kachuk. Yeah. So it's not like it was this guy's Dylan Strome who went third overall, ahead of Mitch Marner, who massacred the OHL and everyone was like, great pick. Like it wasn't that kind of third overall pick either. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Just to round out the top 10 here, Barrett Hayton, Philip Zadina, Quinn Hughes, Adam Boquist, Vitaly Kratzov, Evan Bouchard. Um, but yeah, like I, I think it was the right decision not to match. And again, we, we can get to it to the Carolina perspective next week. Cause like, we'll have to, we'll, you know, we'll talk about the structure of offer sheets, but like, I think I would have just rather them take the assets and go like it's a tough position I get because like us as neutral observers can easily say, yeah, that cup run was clearly like 
not completely luck. Like, of course you have to do it, but like no one is predicting them to go back to the cup this year. And like, you should, your team is getting older. Weber's out price is kind of hurt. Like you should probably try to rebuild, but like, we're also not the GM of a team that now has fans, you know, expecting (laughs) success again. Right. Oh yeah. Going to the owner and being like, I'm trying to finish 25th this year would be, especially because like, all of last year, Ber- the take on Bergevin was if they get eliminated in the first round, he's probably out as GM. Yeah, and like for what it's worth, it would be the smart thing to do to just admit last year was a whole bunch of luck on your side. Plus, you lost guys like Shea Weber and take a step back on purpose, but they clearly have no interest in doing that. No, and just like – but like that's – like, I, I think you could have still played the middle ground, but not gotten Christian Dvorak, you know, like. Yeah. Cause I don't think Christian Dvorak, like Christian Dvorak is the kind of player that does not move the needle one way or another at all. Like he's not no. a bad hockey player. He's like a good middle six guy, but like, why are you giving up first round picks for a good middle six guy who's 25? Yeah. Like, and like everyone, I don't know. Like the other thing too, is just like, and maybe a bit of Dvorak thing was like, he's playing in Arizona. So like, yeah, who we'll see if he grows from there, but like it's yeah, Montreal, like, it's not like he's going to an offensive dynamo, yeah, exactly. And just like I don't know, like he's better than Cockney, of course, but just like is he two mil? I like Cockney makes two mil more, but is also like four years younger than Christian Dvorak. It's like if you cho- had to choose one or the other, it's like. I don't know. Like, I get it was kind of a lose-lose because if, if you match that Cogniemi offer too, thing is when Nick Suzuki's up this year, he's probably asking oh. for like nine mil, right? Um, but like, I, I would have much rather just see them take the assets, have a two first in a loaded draft and go with that because like, obviously we'll get to Carolina. Like, I don't think it's an absolute given Carolina is going to be just a juggernaut again this year. Like, I don't, I have not liked their Aussie. I think they're still a good team, but like, if you told me Freddie Anderson and uh, Anti Ranta are both hurt for half the year, I mean, yeah. So like, I would have rather them so deep, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I I would have rather them just take the picks, run with Gallagher, Drew, and Josh Anderson, Mike Hoffman, Tyler Toffoli, and Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Jake Evans as your top nine. Then you have Lekkonen, Paquette, Armia. Like, I, I just like. You wouldn't be good by any means, but you can do that thing where you silently take a step back, which is better for your organization. Yeah, exactly. And like, if you do take that step back, wouldn't it be nice to have the shot at two lottery picks? Not that Carolina is slam dunk to miss the playoffs. They're still probably more likely than not to, but there are a lot of realities in which that Carolina pick or that Montreal pick both are in the lottery where there's two generational talents available. Which is yeah, or even just like the 11th and 20th pick instead of just the 20th pick, you know, like considering yeah. how deep of a draft we keep hearing this is like, I would much rather still just have like the 11th pick or whatever. If you do take a step back and finish there. Yeah. I also can't believe they traded their own first for Dvorak. Yeah. Well, and so this is like, so this is where it gets a little complicated. I don't know if you've read the conditions. So I- it's. The conditions are it's the better of Montreal or Carolina's 2022 first rounder. But if either pick or both are in the top 10, Montreal will trans. So if um, either of them are in the top 10, Montreal transfers the worst of it. Of it. 
Okay, so it's protected at least. Yes, and I thought there was something about if they're both in the top 10, it's 2023, but I don't actually see that in the conditions. So I think it's just like, like if they were both lottery picks, Arizona would get the worst of the lottery pick, but. Okay, okay, so that's less bad. Because if Montreal traded their own first instead of Carolina's, it'd be like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it's definitely less bad. It's it's top 10 protected because I, I – like I would be a little, I'd be pretty surprised if both of them finish in the bottom 10 or whatever, but like, it's not impossible. Um, but yeah, like I just, the other thing is like, I don't mind this four core. I just don't think Christian Dvorak moves any needles on it. No, no team is a Christian Dvorak away from contending. No, like Christian Dvorak is the player. If he made 1.45 that we were creaming over because everyone was creaming over because Tampa picked up Blake Coleman and uh, yeah, exactly. Barker Goudreau for that, right? Like, yeah, you just don't want to be the team that picks up the tag when you're paying him four and a half million. And like, he's 25, he could get better, but he's probably not going to get better either. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't mind, like, I don't mind this four group. And that's why I think I still have them a tier ahead of Ottawa. And, but like, clearly behind the top four, obviously. Like, I think they're going to be able to make a pretty good four group with like, Gallagher, Suzuki, um, and then, I don't know, pick your left winger there, Druen maybe, and then, like, Josh Anderson, I guess, Dvorak, and Toffoli, and then, like, Cole Caulfield's probably on the third line with maybe, like, a Matthew Perot or something like that. Yeah, something along, like, Shelter Caulfield there. Yeah, and then, like, Mike Hoffman's probably in the bottom six because I don't I think we're past the days where you can play Mike Hoffman in your top six effectively. Yeah, he's a power play specialist, and I think the league understands that at this point, although they did pay him a lot of money, so maybe not. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, their decor again, like this is where I kind of worry about the team. Uh their forwards, I think, are still fine, although I, I do think it's probably understated how much losing Tatar is gonna hurt them. And, and also, and to know for sure, but you know, like I probably wouldn't have paid to know that salary. I'm fine. Them walking away, but like, yeah, just this idea that cause they scratched a tar during the playoffs that he wasn't like one of the biggest uh, um, parts of this team for the past, like two or three years at five on five is silly. So. Oh yeah. They were like, I don't want to say a one line team, but scarily close to it. And that they lost two thirds of that line. Yeah. So, and then on defense, you lose Shea Weber. I get he was getting older. He didn't play all year anyways, but like when he was healthy, he was still a massive part of giving a solid top four for this team. Like they're, they're basically relying on Jeff Petrie to repeat his career season at 33 Joel Edmondson to be what they signed or what they had as Joel Edmondson last year and not the previous like four before that Romanov to take a step up David Savard to be a four, like that's fine. And then Ben Sherratt, Brett Kulak, and Chris Weidman as your bottom three or whatever. I don't really hate that either. But like it's ba- like up front, they're really relying on like Petrie and Edmondson to be good or great, really. Like what well, like they were last year. And like last year felt like a bit of an aberration. Yeah. This this has all of the all of the makings of a glass house. Yeah, like this really feels like. 2017 Ottawa Center or 2018, I guess, Ottawa Centers after the 17 run. Exactly. Like the floor is definitely higher than that team, but like I don't even really see much of a ceiling with this team. 
beyond no. the standard. Oh, if Carey Price puts up a 935, but we all know goalies are weird. And you can say that for literally every team in the league that isn't actively horrible. Yeah. Like, like, and yeah, and that they have Carey Price and Jake Allen, like whatever. I don't, we had, I, I think I had Jake Allen in my top 20. No, maybe I just outside. You had him in your top 20. Barely. Yeah. Something and like, that. like neither of us even, I don't think considered Carey Price. Nope, I didn't. Like, I, I had him at, like, 21, 22-ish, if you want to include playoff performance. But, like, over the regular season, no, definitely not. Yeah. But, like, I – so, like, yeah, like I, I just – I don't know. Like, I, I think this team is – they have enough talent where it's they're probably going to be very clearly better than, like, the three bottom three teams. But, like, I just don't really see how they catch – any of the teams above them, unless like something goes disastrously wrong for one of those teams. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you remember like three months ago when people were like, no, the Canadians didn't just get lucky. They're actually a really good hockey team. Yeah. Those were good times, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, man, I could see the bottom falling out on this team too. I'm not going to lie. I hope so. I hate the Habs. But they, they do – like they, their five-on-five five possession was, like, solid enough over the past couple of years where, like, I don't think it's going to happen. And maybe I'm underrating what a full year of, like, Cole – like, Cole Caulfield could step in and score 25 easily. Yeah, and that'd be helpful. But, like, how good Caulfield has to be to place, replace Tatar, low-key is an unrealistic expectation for Caulfield. Yeah, I think the one thing you could say, though, is if Cole Caulfield could produce on the power play a little bit more, you can make that value up. Yes, that is true. But I mean, yeah, definitely five on five. Suzuki without the no, obviously the quality competition thing's a little bit overrated, but like it's still a meaningful thing that he's never done in his life at the NHL level. For sure. So yeah, I'll be interested to see how this uh, this team goes, but I think they're a pretty clear five in this division. Yep, they're not. Uh, they're not. It's unlikely they're like a lottery team or whatever, but it's really unlikely they're going to make the playoffs. I think. Yeah, I would say like maybe their only hope is that a couple of the Metro teams really take a step back and they're in that second wildcard spot. But yeah, and I guess with no Sid and no Malkin starting the year, the Metro looks a lot softer. Yeah. So maybe they didn't make that second wild card, but I, I don't see many avenues in which they finish in the top four beyond just PDO benders or some team collapsing. Yeah, especially not top three. Um, all right, yeah. into the top four. Uh, I have them all just kind of in this top three division because I could see them all competing for a top three spot. I think a couple teams are maybe better than others, but I, I almost I, I have a pretty easy four here, in my opinion. And I'm curious to see if you're the same or not. Okay, so this could be different, actually. Do you have Florida? No. Okay, so we do have a different four. Do you okay. have Boston? I, I have Boston as four, and... The reason I'm not completely confident in this is because it feels like every year we schedule them to take a bit of a step back and they never freaking do. But it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Like, so, like, so this, so I have them all in this tier because I absolutely, Boston could rattle off a division win and I really would not be that shocked. Like, I like their forward still. Uh, and like, so it's almost semantics here when I say I dislike stuff about some of these teams because it's like these are very good teams, clearly. But like, yeah, like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasnag, best line in the league or t- top three line in the league easily, right? But like, 
Bergeron's, Bergeron's 36 and even Marchand's 33. Like, at what point do you even take a slight step back? And is that an, like, does Ken Boston counteract if they do take a slight step back with the depth they have? And like, I, I love the Taylor Hall signing. Like, Taylor Hall on your second line is going to be great. I don't think adding Nick Foligno really moves the needle one way or the other. Um, like, their depth is just kind of whatever. Like, Taylor Hall has to be a legit first-line player for these guys just on the second line because he's going to have to absolutely fucking carry that line. Yes. And so, like, like I obviously, your top line's amazing. I like Taylor Hall. Charlie Coyle's whatever. Jake DeBrusque is whatever. Felino's whatever for a bottom sixer, I guess. And you got, like, Craig – I like Craig Smith. Um, Actually, Eric, you go Craig Smith, Taylor Hall – it might not matter who you put at 2C because those two wingers probably strong enough to carry. And yeah, I'm assuming it would just center. be Charlie Coyle up the middle there. Like, so that's maybe that's fine. Yeah. That's the other thing with this team. Not only are they all getting older outside of McAvoy and Pasternak in meaningful ways, but uh, losing – what's his name? Uh, 2C. Crazy. Yeah. It's going to hurt. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? So, like, they didn't really go out and replace him all that well. No, like, they didn't have forward depth to begin with, and then they lost Krejci, who was still playing functionally well at 2C. Yeah, Uh, and so, like, that's why I'm a little lower on this team. And then, like, the defense is – I love Charlie McAvoy. We both have him in the top three. Um, Mike Riley I like. I think he's a solid number three probably. Yeah, but he's going to be their second most important defenseman. Yeah, because then it's like Brandon Carlo, Matt Grizzlick, Derek Forbert, Connor Clifton, and Jacob Zaboro. Like, Carlo's over – he's fine, but he's overrated. Yeah. Grizzlick like, is whatever. Like, he's fi- – again, fine. But, like, like, this is – Travis Dermott, but they need him to be, like, in the top four or it's Forbort, which is not a good trade-off to have. Yeah, like Matt Grizzlick's gonna have to be playing top pair minutes. I'm like, I'm assuming they're gonna go Grizzlick, McAvoy, Carlo Riley. Yeah, that would make sense. Which, like, I just don't love that top four as like a team that has cup aspirations, you know? Yeah, that would scare me. And then in net, you have Linus Olmark and uh, Jeremy Swayman, and then uh, maybe Tukaras signs. Tukarask has basically said he'll sign for cheap and only with Boston. So if if he becomes healthy again in January, maybe he resigns there. But just like I like, I don't know. I've been lower. I admittedly I've been lower on Olmark, generally speaking. So like maybe I'm a little too low on him. But like I just don't think he's who I'd have as like a slam dunk guy in front of it, like behind this decor is just like oh yeah, he's gonna absolutely get it done. You know? Yeah. Although this team is good defensively. Yeah, but like. Like Tuka Rass still had to be like really good at parts of the past couple years. Yeah, he had to have his moments for sure. I'm not sure Allmark's going to steal him many games. I don't think he has to for them to make the playoffs, but I think he does have to be pretty good for them to compete with Florida, Tampa, Toronto. Yes, and that's kind of where I'm at with this like team. For the division like, lead, that is. Yeah, like I, I, I have them as a playoff team for sure. I have them as a wild card personally, but like again, if they finish top three, it wouldn't shock me. But like. Yeah, especially come playoff time, too, like when we obviously get way back there. Like, if it's still Olmark as the starter, I think he absolutely will need to steal some games in a playoff series. 
Yeah, exactly. Because if he has like a 9-12, they can still pretty easily come third in this division or whatever. But like to come first, I think they're going to need him to play extremely well. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. So, I, yeah, I, and that's why I'm just like, I don't know. Some of me is just factoring in age, but we seem to do that every year and they just don't really age with Boston. So uh, I'm also ready to be super wrong about, about the, that take anyways. Um, so we'll see. Like I, this is definitely more the team I can see falling out the bottom the most in terms of just like their roster taking a step back unexpectedly versus the other three, even if like maybe their peak is higher than the team you have in fourth in Florida and I have in third. Yeah, I was just going to say, so Boston could have the higher floor, lower, or no, lower higher ceiling, ceiling, higher floor, but lower median to you. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Like That's pretty reasonable. I have the same thing. I do think the median outcome is slightly higher for Boston, but I completely agree with way higher ceiling than Florida, but also way lower floor. Yes, yeah, like I, I could see Boston completely, like if Bergeron, for whatever reason, did take a massive step back, like I think the floor could just come out on that on Boston where it's like Florida again. I'm not as so like, I'm not as sold on them, but like, I don't think Barkov is just going to suddenly age to the point where he's 37. Cause he's not 37. Right. Yeah. Like the odds of Barkov putting up the results of a two C are much lower than Bergeron because of how old Bergeron is. Like he yes. could hit a cliff and we shouldn't be surprised. Exactly. So um, let's get to Florida then. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming you have them four. Yep. I have them three. So we just switched those teams. And again, like I, I could see it really in any order. Definitely competing with the top three. Uh, biggest question mark for me with Florida is can they get some repeat seasons out of guys that uh, I don't think any, like not many people were expecting? Yeah. Florida got like career years out of like six dudes. That's going to be. Yeah, and, and I do think they're offsetting some of that with, like, Sam Reinhardt, I think, is a massive addition. Yeah, that's huge. Because, like, even if, say, Duclair and Verhage go from, like, they were legit first-liners last year to, like, second-liners this year, like, adding a legit, like, top-end second-liner, maybe he could even be a bottom-end first-liner on a uh, Buffalo team in Sam Reinhardt, I think offsets that, right? So... Yeah, it's a good thing because what a lot of teams across all sports do when they have a year like Florida is they go, well, next year, what if all the good stuff stays the same and we fix the bad stuff? And then, of course, the good stuff doesn't tend to stay the same. But they got Sam Reinhardt to offset the regression. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a big thing in f- football with the PFF guys that they, they always like to say, right? It's like, well, our defense was good last year, so that'll stay good. Let's just fix our bad wide receivers or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah. but like – your defense doesn't necessarily stay good, right? So, um, and yeah, like I, I like their four core: Barkov, Huberto, Reinhardt. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Sam if Sam Bennett can be. Like, I, I don't think anyone's going to expect him to be the absolute like point per game tear he was on last year. But like, can he be a not bad bottom six guy? Which like he was a poor bottom six guy in Calgary. So it'll be interesting to see where he falls. But like a top nine of Barkov, Huberto, Reinhardt. Duclair, Verhage, um, maybe you get a jump from like an Owen Tippett or something like that. Um, and then Hornquist, Bennett, and Vetrano, I guess. Um, like it's not the worst top nine in the world, that's for sure. Yeah, you kind of have to like readjust because like I don't think of Huberdo as a superstar, but he is. Yeah, he's really good. And like last year he drove his own line, which is huge for this team. 
Yeah, and like I don't think of Sam Reinhart as like William Nylander's level impact, but he is. Yeah, and like I'm I, I'm assuming they'll probably play Reinhardt with Huberto, which will be a lot of fun to watch. But like honestly, like with how well Huberto drove his own line last year, like you can make an argument that they should have Barkov, Huberto, and Reinhardt on three separate lines. Yep, that could be reasonable. I doubt they'll do it, but. Yeah, like I don't think they will either. But like Sam Sam Reinhardt can absolutely drive his own third line, like to like really well. Oh yeah, especially if you believe in what Sam Bennett did, you could spread them out a lot easier because then you could run. Like, if Bennett is your two C or whatever, him Barkov, and then Huberto carries the other line and whatever. Like Reinhardt gets to play with Sam Bennett if as long as Sam Bennett's legit good, that's a good second line or whatever, right? Yeah, and then like at that point, I think you're literally testing the depth of even any other uh, forward core in the Atlantic division. Cause like Boston's third line would not be able to keep up with the Sam Reinhardt and good uh, um, Sam Bennett. So it's like, you just got to ask your top six to play to evens with some of the big boys in the division and you're looking good, but obviously that's not a given. And then, you know, their bottom line, they have a bunch of just kind of random guys, Ryan Lomberg, they signed Jumbo Joe, Mason Marchman. Um, they're going to have just a rotating cast down there and, I think that's the right way to approach your fourth line. Like just have a bunch of guys. So if one of them doesn't work out, you can plug another one in. Yeah. It looks like they have a bunch of dudes who should be able to put up replacement level results. Nothing crazy, but you know, it's a fourth line. What what Mm -hmm. else can you really ask for? And then defense is the same kind of question. Can Mackenzie Weger like repeat like the Norris tear that he was on at the end of last year? Can Aaron Eckblad, now that he's healthy, repeat? Look like like Aaron Eckblad was on a Norris tear to start the year as well. And then obviously went down hurt. Like, if both of those guys are as close to what they are last year, this blue line suddenly looks good. But I don't think it's reasonable to expect that exact level of play from either one, but definitely not both. Yeah, because it's the one where even if one of them stays as good, it's like the other takes a step back. Like, is Nudavara going to be fantastic again after never being good? If, yeah, like, is Brandon Montour going to be Buffalo Brandon Montour, what we've seen for three years, or, like, Brandon Montour that was really good this year? Like, well, when he went over to Florida, you know? Yeah, same with Forsling. Like, Forsling was freaking amazing last year, and he was not even in the league the year before that, and he was horrible, like, in his previous NHL data. Like, such an absurd amount of guys had career years for this team last year. Yeah, and it's like, so part of that is you look, well, did everything just come together at the same time? Or like, is there something to like, and I think this team specifically, I'm at least more willing to consider that like it's a a coaching thing because of who's behind the bench and Joel Quenville. Yeah, and that is a very good argument. It's just, does the league figure it out? I honestly have no idea. Yeah, or even if they don't figure it out, do they at least crack it so it's not quite as extreme as last year, you know? Yeah, like instead of putting up out of nowhere legit top pairing results, even if you knock Forsling back to a four and Uyghur back to a two and all those things, like does it start to really chip away at what made them great? Exactly. And then even in net, um, you know, they lose um, uh, Drieger. Drieger, uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, Spencer Knight's here. He looks good in the little time he got to play, but he's a 20-year-old goaltender. And at this point, you know, Bob is – pretty toast i would say like i just don't even expect him to be good anymore i think it's easier to predict who's going to be bad than who's going to be good in that 
Yes. Bob definitely seems one of the more likely guys to put up a 899 or whatever next year. Yeah. So now you're hoping on Spencer Knight to do what Chris Dreger did, which was already uh, surprising last year. So. Yeah, which is going to be tough. He's got the draft pedigree and all that stuff, but he's he's a 20-year-old goalie. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have to be a legit starter. Yeah, like there's only so much you can ask for, you know? Yep. And he is as likely as we've ever seen from a 20-year-old goalie to be able to do it, but those still aren't amazing odds. Yeah, so like like a lot of teams, I feel like like the goaltending is really their Achilles heel. Like this is what I could see really dropping out the most. And I guess, honestly, in this division, it's lesser so, you know, because while we know Buffalo's goaltending is going to suck, Detroit's goaltending might be what actually elevates them a little bit. We <laughs> yeah. Like we think Ottawa's is going to suck. Montreal's has just been bad and it didn't really matter the past couple of years anyways. But like, it'll probably be just like a little below league average. Boston's will probably be fine. And then we'll get to the next two teams. I'm not like like super worried about either one of them, but like, yeah, this team, I think if you're showing an obvious weakness, unless you're just betting on like extreme regression from a bunch of people, which could happen, but I'm not going to bet on like that. Like I, I think enough guys had career years last year where it's like, even if there is regression to the mean, I would be like, you'd have to be super unlucky for it to swing so far the other way where it's like this team actually just sucks unless the goaltending yeah. falls out of course <laughs> yeah because when you get like also like barkov had a career year probably like they got like seven career years say two of them snap back to being bad uh two stay good and the rest fall somewhere in between like that's still good enough for this team to be you know third or fourth pretty comfortably in this division yeah exactly so um all right, let's move on, I think, then. Um, a pretty good coverage of them. Uh, two teams left, back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, and the other team. What one do you have second? Pretty obviously, although I feel like the gap, at least in the regular season, is a lot smaller than the median hockey fan would guess, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, I also have Toronto, too, just you know, on paper. I don't think you can have the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, not one, but... I would like, like, I bet you, I I don't have it on. I'm going to try and see if Pinnacle has it, but like, I bet you the spread to win the division, not including anything playoff related, but just division winning. I bet you is way closer than anyone would guess. Well, because that's the thing. Everybody's like, well, Leafs sucked in the playoffs. So it's like, so your best argument that Leafs are going to be bad in the regular season is they were bad in the playoffs over like a 20 game sample. Yeah, and, like, everyone's favorite thing, everyone's favorite thing, too, is just, like, oh, yeah, the Leafs just get it done or, like, just rack up points in the regular season. Does They can't do it when it counts. It's just, like, okay, but, yeah, if they're racking up points in the regular season, that means they're probably a good regular season team. Yeah, exactly. And take in, like, Matthews was hurt for a bunch of last year, and he still absolutely massacred the league. Like, they're going to be a really good team in this regular season. I saw people dying, but, oh, they might miss the playoffs or whatever. Like, everyone's an 880 goalie from missing the playoffs, but there's no reasonable way in which that happens. Yeah, I saw people being like, oh, they could take a step back this year. It's like, in what world do you look at this team and be like, yeah, they're obviously way worse than last year. Like, like I, I just, I, I honest to God don't think people under, like, look at goaltending from year to year. Exactly, because they up, like, the, the most important position, starting goalie, descriptively, was horrible for them last year. 
Yeah, like because like Jack Campbell took over as the starter by the end of the year. Yeah, because Freddie Anderson was actively bad. Like even if Peter Mrazek and Jack Campbell are average, that's an upgrade to not have how bad Freddie was. Yeah, like I just uh, I yeah I often wonder what people look at and just like so like you go through this team like obviously they're bringing the big boys back up front but there's never been a problem with them in the regular season um and you know we've talked about their off season like i like what they've done for depth like andre kashe is a big swing because of how injury prone he is but like if he's healthy and you run marner nylander kashe down the right side oh man like you like Kashe would be able to drive his own third line. Oh, absolutely. Like if he, if he mounts his back, like when you, at the end of the year, divide war by money spent, he's going to be one of the only guys in the league that has a chance to hang with the, the ALC guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, and so like, and again, that's not a given that it happens, you know, and hopefully he does, he can stay healthy, but he hasn't been on to recently, but like that kind of bet is good to make. Michael Bunting was a pretty solid bet. Like, yeah, sure. This team would have looked much better with Jared McCann instead of Kerfoot or even Hall. But like, just generally speaking, like I don't. Nick Ritchie's a fine signing, you know, like at two point five million, anyways. Like that's not a bad ad. If it would have been three, four million, I that would have been aggressive. But I really like the Ritchie signing. It's not, I doubt, going to be a steal, but I think it's very likely to be like you look back, you're like, oh. He's a, a $3.25 million player and we're paying him two and a half. And that's good. Yeah. And like, he seems like the ideal guy can slide up in the top six. If you need him to like, you could yeah. like theoretically run like to our Matthews, Marner, Richie. Yeah. Tavares. Yeah, Richie seems like a perfect guy who can just be the worst player in a first line, but you're still happy with it. Yeah. And then like Tavares, Nylander, Mikheyev and Kashe Bunting, I guess Kerfoot is your third three C, but like Kashi and Bunting could be good enough where it doesn't really matter that Kerfoot's your three C. Yeah. It looks like they're ready to go Kerfoot three C. Kerfoot looked really good in the playoffs. Um, this regular was that, that's the one thing that scares me most. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. But like, if your wingers are good enough, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. And like, Kerfoot was good uh, in the playoffs when he got to play with better players. So like, maybe it's a thing of like, when he's not playing with a 42-year-old Joe Thornton or whatever, like he might look a little better. Exactly. And it's one of those things, like the farther you can punt your holes down the lineup, the better off you are. Like Boston has to, his holes at 2C. Like just being able to punt that hole down one line farther to 3C is a really nice edge to have. Exactly. So, and then, yeah, like their fourth line is going to be some mix of like Engvall, Simmons, Spezza, Brooks, camp like they have again like they have a bunch of guys that are options i think that's a good thing to have so like yeah like i just i don't know what realistic way you look at this four core and then even this defense like you know people have not been paying attention to the toronto maple leafs when they go man they just they need more upgrade on their defense it's like they were not defense was not the fucking issue last year and it wasn't even the issue in the playoffs other than like one stupid travis dermott turnover if Victor Hedman doesn't have a bounce back, this is the best defense core in the Atlantic division. And I don't even think it's that close. No, like unless like Florida doesn't regress, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Like and Ackblad's like a Norris guy or in like Uyghur's still a one and all that stuff. But like assuming there's some regression baked in, because the thing is 
all the Leafs need to be is who all of these defensemen have been for like the past three years, minus Sandine, because of course we don't have three years on them. And this is the best best in the league, unless Hedman's back to a Norris guy, which Hedman is very likely to be back to a Norris guy. But when that's supposedly their biggest problem to some people, that's a good sign. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, sure, some of the decors getting to the age where it's like, eventually you're going to have to start worrying about, okay, are they going to start falling? Like, Jake Muzzin's 32, plays a tough game. TJ Brody's 31. But, like, generally speaking, you can be pretty confident that, like, they shouldn't fall off a cliff. So, like, yeah, you have, like, we've talked about this decor, I feel like, at length, where it's like, you have a bunch of guys, you don't really have, like, a stud number one, but, like, Jake Muzzin, you had pretty high on your list and I had my top 20 for sure. Like he's a solid number one. And then you have a couple guys that are closer to the fringe, right? Like, or like a good number two or whatever, like TJ Brody's probably a solid number two and he's their third best defenseman. Exactly. Like say Riley's the 35th best defenseman in the league. Muzzin takes a step back, but he's the 30th and Brody sits at 45. Like that's enough talent that you're more than happy with his defense core. Yeah, and that's already not baking in, like, if Rasmus Sandin can be, like, a solid number four, suddenly yeah, you like, have, like, two number fours and him and Justin Hall. Like, that's encouraging, right? Like, Yeah, and Rasmus Sandin, I feel like a lot of – like, it's not impossible he's really, really good. Yeah, like, like you never want to make – like, you never want to pencil anyone into, like, a top pair or anything like that. But if he's, like, a – solid three, four kind of guy this year. I, I don't think it would be all that shocking. Given what he did to the Marlies at, in his teenage years, it should not surprise anyone if we're looking back at the end of this year and it's like, oh, Rasmus Sandin was a number three defenseman. Yeah, so like... Obviously, he won't be the third most important on this team, but like his results are that of a number three or whatever. Exactly. And like, yeah, and then Annette, Morazic and Campbell, just two... Like Morazic is sporadic as hell, but it evens out to an average goalie over the year. And I think that's good for Jack Campbell. They can play one A, one B, whoever's going hot at the time can play a couple games in a row. And I think generally speaking, you'll have a guy you'll like this tandem just has like nine, 14, 12th best save percentage in the league. Yeah, yeah. Like literally just screams that, you know? So, and then like this team is good enough up front and on defense that that's probably all they're going to need to be like top two, maybe even top one in this division. Yeah. And the team was good enough defensively too. Like, even if these guys have, you know, I don't, I don't think you should forecast either of them to be horrible, but say both of them combined have a slightly negative goal saved above expected. They're probably going to look like average goalies because the yeah, team's like, decent uh, defensively. Maybe like they're likely to be 10th best defensively in the league or something like that. Yep, for sure. So, yeah, I, I just think it's crazy that people are like, this team could take a step back. I I really don't see it. And, and like, I, I do agree with uh, other fans that say nothing of this regular season really matters because what are you going to do in the playoffs? I, I respect that opinion more than this team is going to take a step back in the regular season. Oh, yeah, that's the problem because they are going to be good in this regular season, or at least they're every bit as likely as every team in the league other than, like, Colorado and Tampa and probably Vegas to be good in the regular season, but, and no one's going to be impressed and that's more than fair. But if we're strictly talking regular season, like they're a really good team. Like the betting markets have them as like the fourth, most likely team to win the cup. Yeah. Like they're that's again, like it's, 
it's kind of like um, it reminds me. I was listening to the PFF podcast today on football, and it reminds me of what they were talking about, like how people talk about the Cleveland Browns come adding into this year. Like if you just like took the logos and names away from every player, or like you, like you forgot about who was on what team, so you had no idea any history of the team at all, and you just look at the rosters and how skilled each player was, like. Cleveland would be the third best team probably to most people in the NFL, but because that franchise has been such a joke for so long, you can't put them up there yet until you see something, right? It's kind of the same idea with Toronto where it's like, yeah, like on paper, they could have like the fourth best odds of the cup, but you're going to get laughed at until they actually show something about it. Exactly. Like if you put in the, for what it's worth, fourth best odds of the cup in this division, it's quite impressive. But if you put these names on the crack and everybody would be like, holy fuck, the Kraken are going to be absolutely amazing next year. And you have these names on the Leafs and everybody's like, I'm pretty sure they're going to take a step back because they're not that good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think the Leafs are probably due for another just dominant regular season year. Um, like, I, I again, I really would not be shocked if they won this division. I could, I'm predicting them home ice, but like, you know, goaltending so random that, you know, I, I think they could kind of finish anywhere, but this is, this is a team, and like I think all four of these teams, I would be surprised if they missed the playoffs. But this is a team where I'd be like shocked if they missed the playoffs. Yeah, it would be tough. They're just they have everything you could realistically want. Like three C is their question mark. Yeah, like they have depth so, basically in every position, and the one position they don't, which is center, they have a top three centerman and a top. 20 like the top 15 centermen and John Tavares like so you have like two unreal centermen to hide the one hole you have yeah exactly and Sheldon Keefe is willing to do the thing that uh Mike Babcock never was and play the living shit out of his top guys yeah like I'm looking at the uh, evolving hockey forecast uh they have Matthews projected to have the second high schools of replacement in the league which yeah is exactly what I would do off the top of my head and that can mask a hole at three C. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I expect, you know, big things through the regular season. Then once we get to the playoffs, that's where the fun begins. Of course, uh, next team, Tampa Bay lightning, the last one on the list, number one, back-to-back champions, definitely going to take a step back. I think this year in terms of just like pure dominance, but the thing is, they finished third in the regular season last year in their own division. Yeah, they didn't have Kucherov, but it looks like Hedman might be hurt to start this year too. Like I haven't really heard an update on that. And like, they did lose some important players, you know, like uh, losing Yanni Gord. Yeah, exactly. Yanni Gord, uh, Barkley Goudreau and um, uh, Blake Coleman. Like I think Goudreau is a little overrated, but you know, Blake Coleman's good. Tyler Johnson for uh, overpaid. He was still good. So um, I, I definitely think they'll take a step back, um, but like they're rightfully so still among cup favorites. I think if you include division, they're probably second to Colorado, but just in terms of like on paper, they should be one or two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're the back-to-back Stanley cup champions. Like they're just really, really good. Yeah. And like just the ability to, produce players like Ross Colton is just a good guy like just a good bottom six guy for them now and I'm just not going to be surprised when that just continues this year because of course he is yeah yeah, exactly like Corey Perry like I I thought that was a pretty uh, shrewd signing to like replace like a Barkley Goudreau in your fourth line they kind of remind me of the way people would talk about like the Patriots a while ago 
where you just magically project people to get better for no apparent reason other than they're on that team. Yeah, and like like Alex Barry Boulette is playing with them this year. He's like torched the AHL for a couple of years now, like absolutely destroyed the AHL. Yeah. So and- like yeah, exactly. Like, so like if he comes up and is just immediately like a two C, would you be shocked? Like, because I wouldn't. Knowing Tampa, I'm sure he'll be just as good as Yanni Gord or something stupid like that. Yeah. So like, and then like you have uh, Matthew Joseph as well, who looks like a solid bottom six guy. So like, this team is still going to be very, very, very good. Um, I, I think yeah. their one question is going to be defense. Um, again, like I, I have faith that Victor Hedman will at least bounce back to like top because even last year his quote unquote down season, he was still like the fifteenth best guy probably. Yeah, like he he hurt, but he was it's not like he was terrible. Yeah, and I think maybe it fell off a little more at the end when he was clearly playing injured. But like even his yeah down season, it was like fifty. He was still a number one, even if it was at the back end. It's just you're used to him being the number top three in the league, right? So like I, I have faith that that'll he'll bounce back to top five, top ten defensemen. But uh, I think McDonough is severely overrated, and like that is a contract I still think they actively should be trying to get off of if they can. Yeah, that's a tough one because their decor looks – I don't like that contract, but I think their decor also looks really sketchy without him. But, like, I don't think he adds, like – I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading a little too, but, like, he's just, like – like, his play-driving numbers are very meh. Yeah. And, like, maybe it's a factor of, like, you don't really need him to drive play, so you don't really care. You just need him to be responsible defensively, but, like – I think you could find someone else to do a similar job for less than 6.75. You're basically paying an aggressive premium for certainty. Cause like, you know, he can competently play that second pair. Could someone else play it better? Probably. But like out of 10 guys, five of them can, and five of them would be terrible. So you're just paying an aggressive premium for a guy who, you know, is, is there. I would have just like rather them go and say like, "Hey, Mike Riley," and say going back to Boston. How about you come to Tampa for like a four by four or whatever? Yeah, like, I, I, that I, kind I, of right. Like, and then you know, like I don't. I'm just like I'm sure you can move McDonough on a heartbeat. Like I think he still is like oh absurd God. value, right? Like, yeah, he's got a no trade, which oh, I no. believe is six twenty six. Never mind. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, yeah, so say, yeah, you could. Uh, it's the last year of his basically, it's the last year of his deal. It's like, I don't want to go to a complete shit team when I'm uh, 37. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, Hedman McDonough, I like Sergachev, Cernak's fine, Ruta, Bogosian, Foot. Like, it's not horrible by any means, but like, if Victor Hedman is not a Norris Callard defenseman, it looks a lot more scary. That's for sure. Yeah, like last year. Hedman was hurt and they missed Kucher off for the whole season and they still comfortably made the playoffs. Like two huge things went wrong and they still didn't even like break a sweat. This year is the first time in the while while Tampa Bay actually needs things to go right to stay elite, which isn't an insult because basically every team needs things to go right to stay elite, but it's just, there's finally like, you know, a hole in the armor. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's even just so small because it's just like, like generally speaking, there is teams that would absolutely kill for this defense core anyways. 
It's just like the rest of their team has been so good for so long and still is like, I have no worries about their top six or their bottom six and their goaltending is obviously, I mean, their backup's a bit of a different situation, but come playoffs, it's not going to matter because Vasilevsky is a superhuman and plays every minute anyways. Right. So that's the big X factor too. Their certainties in net are hard to come by. Vasilevsky is so much more likely to be good than any other goalie in this division. It can cover for a lot of things. I could almost argue league. Like, I think Hellebuck is better than him, but also we've seen Hellebuck, and I mean, maybe not quite as much in the past two years, so maybe you could argue Hellebuck finally stepped into his prime, but, like, we've seen Hellebuck go up and down from year to year, at least, like, a little bit, right? Like, Vasilevsky is just constantly really good. Yeah, the, uh, like, adjusted numbers weren't as kind to him earlier in his career, but he's done it for, like, what is it, five years in a row now? Yeah, like there was, I think he won the Vesna or was a Vesna finalist four or five years ago and he absolutely did not deserve it. Yeah, but he's just been so good for so long. Like, and that that can cure so many problems on a team that's not likely to have many. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. Like this team, again, I, I think it's um if we're just going by on paper, like and like it, it's a bold take to not have them first. It's not like crazy to say in the regular season they're not they you know they might not win this division but it's just like if you're just playing like the odds which is what we're trying to predict here you have to have this team won you know yep yep you can you can come up with like contingency plans or the Leafs win or the Bruins win or whatever but and the most likely outcome still might only be you know, a 30% chance or something that's still really high in an eight-team division, but, like, they are the most likely team to win the division. Yep, absolutely. Like, so um, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the deadline this year, too. Uh, we'll have lots of time to talk about that, but, like, I'm genuinely here because, like, if they, like, let's say all things stay exactly equal, which we know will not obviously happen, but, like, if everyone went in healthy to the playoffs this year, like, this would be the first year in a while where I'd be like, okay, Tampa shouldn't be like overwhelming favorites in every round they're playing in. Whereas like yeah, the last two years, it's kind of felt like that where it's like, oh yeah, like Tampa should be just kind of overwhelming favorites here. Yeah. Yeah. Like 75% chances to win series kind of thing. That's going to yeah. be tough by this year, especially because their division's so good. You're not going to yeah. see that this year. I don't think. Until they go add just like four unreal players at the deadline for nothing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of who's like the big UFAs. I don't play enough chow anymore to know who those are, but I'm sure whoever it is will end up on the lightning somehow. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, I, I think that is uh, it. Good update for the, the first of four divisions. Uh, by the way, I want Malkin's a UFA coming up this year. Oh, well, I don't Phil, think it'll be Malkin. Phil, <laughs> Phil Kessel? Point. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Gorsberg, anyone? Forsberg will be a gross one or Phil goes and makes that power play from the best in the league to like the best of all time or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Definitely a longer episode, but uh, maybe shorter than I thought. Actually, I think it's about an hour 20. So not bad. Uh, these are usually longer episodes. There's just so much to cover, especially when we're going through news, but uh, I, I personally enjoy them. Um, you know, I hope everyone enjoys listening to them as well. So uh, we'll back, be back at you next week with the Metro and then we'll go West for the next two weeks and uh, kind of hard to believe chase, but like hockey's 30 days away from the regular season starting already. I know hockey's back. Football's back tomorrow. It's a good time. 
Oh yeah, football will be. I'm assuming I'm going to get this out tomorrow afternoon, so football will be tonight when people are listening to this. Uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say I am absolutely pumped. Um, so um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you guys enjoyed, uh, give a like or you know share all that like really really helps. But if not, you know just thank you for listening. Thanks for all the support. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. I don't always plug my other podcasts, but I did talk about a bunch of stuff on the Sens this week, including Batherson extension, Dorian extension, what I see from Brady Kachuk in the future, would I trade Batherson or Logan Brown right now, all kinds of great stuff. So you can find that wherever you're listening to this podcast. It's called the Last Word on Sens podcast. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.